<sighs> I regret to inform you, the fun is over. You're listening to the Selfie Is Godcast with Zach Meisel and TJ Zupi. Subscribe to Selby Is Godcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Unbelievable. Oh, Zach, where do you want to start? Is that can I have a, that as a multiple choice question? Sure. I hardly ever just let you pontificate to begin. I feel like stepping aside is the right thing to do here. <laughs> I already told you I don't really have much to say. <laughs> Thanks for coming, everybody. Hey, if you'd like more of this for a dollar per episode, come join us over at Patreon. Where you do get to join the Discord, which is like an extra bonus. I, I think that's worth it. The, the episodes are like an, a secondary thing. Access to our community at Discord is, is first and foremost, I think, what people are paying for at this point. It's, it's been a nice addition. I mean, that thread is healthy and firing seemingly at all hours of the day various channels you can you can talk about prospects you can talk about in-game reactions you can just general discussion and questions and um it's been pretty active which is good because i feel like this is the worst time of a season to try to analyze anything um and it's I got nothing, man. I mean, what what is there to say after that weekend? Well, I think our pal Logan summed it up pretty well at the Discord, where he said, is the best short-sighted analysis, hot take opinion you could have right now is that they need to hire Ty Van Berkeley. <laughs> after three games ago, it felt like uh, they had discovered uh, the reinvention of the wheel here with the offense. Looking like the best in baseball. Three games later, the joy of an early season. Well, it's this. <laughs> that's, that's it. That's what I got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we can have a 20-minute conversation about how this is a young team, so you need to expect the ebbs and the flows, the highs and the lows of a typical baseball season to the nth degree. But... That's not an exciting conversation. You know, last week, the podcast was, look at all these crazy offensive numbers, and is Owen Miller bound for Cooperstown, and Stephen Kwan, where are they going to put the statue? Is it going to go in center field? Will it be in a new ballpark village? Is it going to be inside <laughs> the stadium? I, I think, the, so the, the, the opposite conversation is not entirely interesting, but I think the main point here is that it's been nine games and I had, they're four and five. If you told me to predict their record through the first nine games before the season, four and five is probably about where I would have oh, guessed. So. Okay. Yeah, sure. You already did it last year. You can't come back here and say, <laughs> oh, well, I would have been right. You already said you had no idea how they were going to get there. So 
You can't claim that you would have predicted four and five. You didn't do that. You had an opportunity. We started with the win-loss game to begin the season, so you can't come back here and say, well, I would, have, right. I would have predicted this. You nailed the did, first I, two days. I said that. They were going to be 0-2. I didn't quite nail the Jose Ramirez thing, though, because they kind of locked him up to an extension. Okay, so let's table everything for a minute, because I think you raise a good point about how difficult it is to analyze an early season and I think it comes back to something I mentioned in the discord and I'm just going to keep hammering that home until everyone joins us at patreon patreon.com slash selbius guidecast sometimes you have to in the early season decipher as a host how much candy do you give an audience and how much medicine because when things are going well do you really want to have somebody hitting you over the head with yeah hold on but I know you're having fun but here's all of the reasons why you shouldn't have fun I don't want to be the guy that stands in the way of that. So let's have a, a little bit of a broader discussion as far as that goes. But while I, I mentioned Jose Ramirez, can I just say one thing? I don't know what you have reported about the the contract, the way that it's structured. Can you give mm-hmm. some people some insight if they they've, haven't seen how this is structured? Because I think how it is being structured, this extension, is important. He'll make $22 million this year instead of the original $12 million option the team had exercised. Next year, he'll still make 14. That's obviously not an option now. That's locked in. And then it goes 17, 19, 21, 23, 25. Any conclusions you can draw from that? I think one, and I have to be fair here to a front office and an ownership that I mean, you were very critical of them. I was very critical of them entering this season. So it doesn't remove everything that happened leading up to this point. I don't think it's fair to just say, they signed Ramirez to the extension, so win, victory. I don't think it's that simple. But my biggest problem with this offseason, the way that it played out, was something we discussed many times, is that they had this this flexibility that they kept talking about. They, they told you a hundred times, we have some money we want to spend, right? And then they went through this offseason, this spring training period. Whether or not they intended to spend it or not, it didn't get spent. They didn't pull off the trade. They didn't sign anybody in free agency. So saying you have the intention of spending money does not forgive the fact that you don't ultimately find some uses for it. So it kind of felt like a missed opportunity. Then they signed Ramirez to the extension, and it's like, okay, well, that's that's a great thing for the franchise, great thing for the fans, great thing seemingly for Ramirez because he wanted to be here. You want to keep on keep your stars for as long as possible. So great things, right? I still was hesitant to give Cleveland too much credit because that didn't change the outlook for 2022, and you're still kind of wasting, maybe a strong word, but wasting a year of Ramirez's prime while you're waiting for all your younger players to come up and, and hopefully make an impact. And it still felt like you're you're looking at the payroll. You didn't, you still didn't utilize that flexibility. Now by paying a little bit of money up front, I will give the team some credit here because I think that was important. Now that's not a mind blowing thing. Like it should have been on the table from, from minute number one. But I think to use some of that flexibility on an extension and have it still be a tangible thing, something that could benefit you, hopefully when you're more prepared to spend some money or at least hold on to some of your younger players or pay them through arbitration, whatever the case may be. 
at least utilizing that money while it may not have been the way that that I would have drawn it up to begin this this offseason leading into this season. The fact that they are now going to allocate some of that money up front to Ramirez is a very important thing that should not be overlooked. Am I making too much of that or Mm -mm. what do you think? No, I don't think the deal gets done unless that's included. Now, both sides were happy to have that included. The team had some leftover flexibility and it does make things a little easier. I mean, think about next season, right? Bieber made six million this year in Arb. Framil Reyes four and a half. I don't know if Ahmed Rosario will be here in 2023, but he was at about five million. Those guys will all get raises going into 2023. So you have more flexibility because Jose Ramirez will make only 14 million next year. So that helps. You also look at the way it's structured and by the time he's making 23, 25 million dollars, it might be someone else paying that. You should have a new TV deal in five years. You should have new sources of revenue from whatever you're going to do outside of the ballpark. You could have gambling partnerships and advertisements on the uniform. So there are, it's structured in a way to sort of coincide with what the team is going through, but also. I mean, I think it's, I think it accelerates the timeline. I think no matter what, the way the offseason went, 2022 was going to be sort of a transition year and learning about guys and um, making some some really important decisions and, and eventually making some trades that set you up for the future. But when I say future, I mean like 2023, because when you have Jose Ramirez in his prime and he's locked in at well below market rates, like 25 million for him when he's 35 years old in 2028, like that might be fair. He might be overpaid at that point because who knows what he'll be able to produce, but he's going to be underpaid in 20. I mean, probably this year and in 2023 and in 2024. And those are your opportunities to cash in. And I just, I think what it does, you know, you know, you're going to have a good rotation Bieber's still here for now, and you've got your big prospects who will probably be ready to join the fray next year. So it puts you in a really good spot to contend 2023, 2024, 2025, and beyond if you get some answers and make the right decisions on guys now. That's why this is an important year. True. And we've been hammering that home for for more than weeks, months now. Do you get a sense in the organization, like if you you would have began the winter and said, you'll be starting 2022 with Jose Ramirez locked up to a pretty comfortable deal. Maybe the the years are uncomfortable, but annual value certainly should be very comfortable. You've locked up your closer, Emmanuel Classe, to a very team-friendly deal. And you locked up your center fielder, Miles Straw, to an extension. If they would have known going into the winter that, that they could have gotten those three things done, would they have been pleased with where they've been at starting 2022? I think they would have been through the roof because you think about the alternatives and let's say they did get somebody, whether it was Olsen or Winker, um, whoever. There's a lot of questions after that, right? Those guys had two years of team control 
If you go trade for Jesse Winker, you're trying to win right now. And I don't know that you're getting a deal done with Jose Ramirez. And if that doesn't happen, doesn't it still make sense to trade Jose Ramirez at some point this year? I mean, it's just like it there. It becomes a little more convoluted in the timeline. The urgency increases. The timeline gets confusing. This is the how this all played out. And it obviously wasn't perfect. And they're very fortunate that Jose Ramirez loves Mitchell's ice cream or Great Lakes Brewery or whatever the hell Cleveland is is known for, um, who needs to sponsor us soon. But, uh, you know, they're so lucky that he is comfortable here and wants to be here for a long time. Uh, because if, if it doesn't happen, then this, not only was it a complete failure, but you're talking about trading him and then who knows where that goes. So this way you have sort of a, a simple blueprint to follow. You have your foundation in place. And it's just the timeline is very clear now. And so it makes it easier to make decisions. If you're acquiring Winker or Olsen, and then you're trying to figure out what to do with Ramirez, and you you also need to... to I mean, we've seen Stephen Kwan in the early going here, and then how are you going to make decisions on Nolan Jones and Josh Nate? Like, everything becomes a little more complicated. And maybe you could have figured it out. Maybe you could have had a, a team more equipped to win in 2022, but I think the way this plays out sort of fits what they want to do perfectly. Yeah, I think my my criticism still remains because there should have been an ability to do more. It shouldn't be an either-or conversation for the front office. Mm-hmm. So, so I give them credit because I think Getting those three things accomplished is a tremendously great thing. As you said, it sets up your future so much more easily, and there's so much less panic, I guess. Even you start this year. Okay, so you go through a tough stretch against the Giants. Really good team. Maybe one of the best in the National League. Probably, yes, the best in the National League. Um, You can look at this and still view it through the prism of evaluation instead of full-blown panic. Because if you don't have Ramirez locked up, you'd be looking at this weekend and, yeah, you'd still be looking at what happened prior to the opener here in Cleveland and saying, well, there's there's still some glimpses of, of hope there. And you might be evaluating Cleveland against other teams in a similar position and saying, hey, they're right there to be positioned somewhere in the middle of the pack. True. But it would feel like, what's the point? Okay, so, okay, you're hanging around mediocrity and you're losing one of your best assets minute by minute as the time goes on. You don't have to feel that way with Ramirez locked up and you can have a more of a established plan and know what the future of this team holds. I think it's easier to take a more positive outlook even after a tough weekend because you're thinking about what the future of this team looks like and what they should be capable of doing, the moves they should be capable of making. I don't know. There's just something about it that, gives me a, a level of calm here that I, there's no way I would have had if there was a Ramirez trade just constantly lingering over everything that was taking place. That dark cloud would not be would not be fun to try to to avoid. Totally. I, I think it buys them time. But like you said, I mean, they didn't have to strike out in the offseason. Was, what was preventing them from 
trading. And I, don't, I mean, I, who knows if he's even available or what the price tag is, but like Sean Murphy in Oakland. Catcher with four years of team control, good defender, and hits home runs. That would be a pretty perfect fit right now. And they have... Cleveland catchers began the year 0 for 28, I believe. (laughs) And they have have the pieces to make a deal happen. To to go... I mean, they have the ammunition to get whatever they want, pretty much. So, yeah, they're going to strike at some point. I would think they have to. Uh, but they have to, you know, they're going to have to make some tough decisions and they have all this clutter with all these guys on the 40-man roster and prospects who are close. And at some point you have to you have to cut through that. And so you're going to have to make a move. And I just, you're right. I mean, it's it's signing Ramirez is a success. Class A and straw extensions, sure. But that doesn't mean there weren't moves you could have still made that also wouldn't have made the payroll what they consider untenable. Yeah, I think that those things exist. I I don't think it has to be an either or. But at least gives you some sense of the direction this team is headed. And I think it it makes it, just something about it enables me to see things through a a different sort of light. Because you know what you're building around. Yeah, right, exactly. And I can look at, I, I can look more positively because I can feel like Owen Miller looks like it's stupid to say this through any amount of games in the first month of a season, first few weeks of a season, but it's like, he looks like someone that can help you. And so just getting closer to an answer on that feels great because then you can address more things. I can look at first base. I could see the way Bobby Bradley is weirdly getting a day to play against a left-hander. It just didn't seem to be a great matchup. Defensively, things did not go well. Somehow offensively, they went better for him. And then a tough day in the field, but it's like, where does he fit? And we've said this team has to have a more aggressive approach to making decisions on players. I have a little bit more faith that they're going to do that. Maybe it's just because there are so many prospects that are like banging on the door. They need to get up here. Gabriel Arias needs to get up here. So somebody's going to have to be cleared out of this to make way for him because he's proven he needs to be up here. What else does he have to prove in the minor? I'm not learning a thing from him being in the minor leagues. And I struggle to think he's really gaining some sort of developmental uh, positives by being down in the minor leagues at this point. Uh, I'm with you. This stuff can change in an instant. You know, Stephen Kwan has reminded everybody that the law of averages exists. <laughs> and for as hot as he's been, you know, it's it's... It's natural for guys to go in cold spells and he wasn't going to hit 600 forever. And I think reality started to set in a little bit during that series. That's going to happen. You know, it's really tough. You're right. Like they're being more aggressive than they've been in years past. And it's, it's nice to put guys in the lineup who are hitting and just let them play, whether it's a lefty or a righty. And it's difficult for a Bobby Bradley or Yu Chang to sort of find your way, work your way back into the mix um, but by the same token, I mean, it's just, it's so crowded. You know, you can, you can cut Yu Chang loose at some point and call up Gabriel Arias, but that's going to cost Andre Jimenez some at-bats and you still need to learn about him. So I, eventually Tyler Freeman and Nolan Jones will be healthy. What the heck do you do with those guys? I mean, it's just, it's tough. So they're going to have to make some rash, not, not necessarily rash, but 
relative to what they usually do where it's, well, we're going to yeah. let you sit behind Domingo Santana for four months and then maybe we'll let you get some run in September and then come back next year and maybe you can you can work your way into the rotation. Um, it, it's, it has to be more expedited than that. And they're going to like, there are going to be decisions they make where it's, it's a lot of it is just projection, projection and, and guesswork. Um, because you've seen glimpses of, I mean, Yu Chang was great in the second half last year, but that that's it. So I think at some point you just have to rely on what you've seen and, and you, you can't just keep hoping. I mean, in the past, they it's borderline too much information that they get on these players. And I get that you want to have an informed decision, but sometimes you, you're you going to have to make a decision here, even if it's going to make you a little bit uncomfortable, if you feel great about the players that you're going to be eventually be calling up. And it's why you know, we, we had a few people mention, uh, particularly the Logan Allen situation from a couple of days ago this weekend, where he's get, he gets called on to come into a situation that no one would have expected Logan Allen to be coming out of the bullpen to clean anybody's mess up. And Tito has said they're not going to approach starters in a way that they're going to be bringing guys in with men on base. It's, they're trying to make it a clean inning so that you can come out there and get some length. Well, obviously, they view Logan Allen a little bit differently. And in any situation where you're trying to win ball games, you're not bringing Logan Allen in with anybody on base trying to preserve a lead or keep things scoreless or keep things tied. It's not what you're doing. But why is he on this roster? If you can't utilize him in those situations, why is Logan Allen here? Why is he taking opportunities away from somebody else? Because Eli Morgan's going to get sent down eventually because he needs to get lengthened fully out because he's their next line of defense as far as starters go. I don't think Logan Allen is that guy for them. So why is he occupying a bullpen spot if you can't call on him in those situations? That's a waste. So it's not what is best for winning a ball game that day. But how many times, and you're alluding to it, you have they gone with veteran players in situations like Brian Shaw? How many times do I need to see Brian Shaw every other day to come in in those situations? I know what he is. I know he's not part of the long-term future. I don't think Logan Allen is, but... Damn, I don't know. Give him a chance to prove that he is. Give him a shot in those situations. I think there's something beneficial here to the beginning of this year where they can look at it that way. That they can they can give guys an opportunity in spots that you would, in no way would you say that Logan Allen is the guy for this guy in this situation. Or go, coming out with a weird looking lineup and giving somebody a, a, an opportunity. Well... Like you are trying to win ball games, but evaluation here is really important. And so I'm all in favor of that. Throw guys in in situations you wouldn't normally see them because I need to know. Otherwise, get them out of here and get the next guy in here. It's really, really difficult to balance that. Are you trying to develop or are you trying to win? They don't usually go hand in hand. So I'm with you. But, you know, you need more than one little piece of evidence, I think, to make full decision. Do you feel more confident the next time that Logan Allen can wiggle his way out of a jam like that because <laughs> no. he's done it before? But didn't we bitch about Sam Henches last year that he never got thrown into any sort of opportunity like that? Yeah. So I, I'm, like, I'm right here next, the, the very next year, not knowing a thing. I'd like to have one more piece of information, mm -hmm. even if it's almost meaningless. Give me one more piece of information as opposed to nothing. I'm with you. 
I just, uh, that's what this year, that's why there's going to be so much trial and error. I mean, it, it's why I, I'm not going to tell fans how to feel. You know, you're wired to want your team to win and, and to be frustrated when they don't. And even when they get swept by a good team at home and the bats look lifeless and the defense is ugly and it's freezing cold and it's, if you're in the stands, it's probably just totally miserable. And what are you doing? Go watch on your couch. But, or ask me for a beer and come up to the press box and keep warm. No, it's, it's, it's really tough because you have to make decisions that are not always putting you in the best position to win a game. You have to. Um, and it, it, if it works, it can pay off in the long run. And, you know, I think like Trevor Steffen is a good example. Like I want to see that guy pitching in the eighth inning in a jam. I think he's ready for that or He's at least as ready as anyone else in the bullpen is. Earned so, a chance. He's earned yeah, a chance and, at that. Yeah, and, and same thing with Anthony Ghost. I mean, we saw a glimpse of him last year. I would have liked to see more. I would have liked to see him pitching in some some higher leverage situations later in the year. We saw that with Nick Sandlin. But you're you're right. It's it's you you need guys to if if 2023 really is that year where you just you started push the gas pedal to the floor. Guys can't be going through firsts. You know, you're going to, you're going to have some, you know, if Valera comes up, he'll be going through first Rocchio, whoever else, Espino, but the guys who are here can't be doing that. You know, you want a very limited number of players put in positions they've never been in before. So it's imperative that you, you sort of cycle through your list here. Um, and the, the, I've said it before. The main point of 2022 is identifying who you're, who you're adding to that core, who you're building, who you're using to build around Jose. And the quicker you can identify guys, I mean, good thing Owen Miller is hitting the way he is. Good thing you've learned Stephen Kwan's skill set certainly plays in the majors. So now you got to find some more. And and how can you do that? Whether it's pitchers, whether it's Position players, you got to put them in spots where game's on the line. Can you count on this guy? You mentioned fans coming up to the press box to get their free beer. It's another couple of fans that have joined the list of the many that are, are waiting for their free beer from Zach, including Ish Lands. Must listen for any Cleveland baseball fan. I've been listening to this show for about three years, and there is truly no better place to turn for comprehensive and rational analysis of the Guardians organization. In addition, since joining the Patreon, hey, where can they join the Patreon, Zach? Patreon.com slash Godcast. I've found a community of fans as dedicated as I am. Cannot recommend enough. Thank you. And can you more. print that out? Can you print like 10,000 copies? We can leave it on this each seat at Progressive Field. Sure. And uh, Mies Dog, or maybe Mies Dog, the most insightful Guardians podcast you will find. Buddy of mine turned me on to this podcast in January of 2021. I was hooked during the first episode and immediately subscribed to the Patreon version as well. The insight and candid Guardians discussion is excellent. If you want to know more about the Cleveland Guardians, this podcast is for you. It's like we wrote these things. <laughs> they found our burners. <laughs> well, thank you for everyone that drops us a five-star review. And of course, patreon.com slash Godcast, where you get those midweek episodes in addition to 
access to the Discord and maybe a free beer down the line from Zach. Who knows? So it is difficult to evaluate this stuff early in the year. It's why when things are going well, I want to have a show where we can kind of exude some optimism because it gets so easy to get pessimistic at the beginning of the year. You're either looking at things sort of cynically because maybe you don't have a great outlook to begin with. And if things are going well, the rational thought process is pump the brakes because this is not anything to go on. Like how easy was it to look at, at what they did through a four-game stretch against Kansas City and Cincinnati, two teams that Kansas City's pitching staff got their doors kicked in the first week, and Cincinnati, we know, is already entering rebuild territory. So you can say, oh, well, hold on, everybody. They're probably not the best offense in baseball. Well, no shit. Like, <laughs> did that take a lot of analysis? That's not fun for me to have that conversation. I would rather look at things a little bit more optimistically. And this comes back to what I said to begin the show, and I threw it out on a Discord, and I'm always curious to get to know how people consume the show and what they what they like from the show because we like we are here for each other. We do this to entertain each other, and hopefully other people are entertained too. But I want to know how people also consume the show. Do you always want something that is always rational, numbers-based, very well? Um, everything comes with a, a, a sort of analysis with it. Or do you want something that's occasionally just fun and embracing some positives? I know it's tough in our position to, to know where that line is. I hope we walk it okay. But that's what I felt like at Patreon this past week. Yeah, of course. Are, are they the best offense in baseball? Probably not. But can't we just take some time to acknowledge Andre Semenis had a great stretch. Owen Miller had a great stretch. As you said, Stephen Kwan looks like that skill set plays in the major leagues. I have some fun with it. I'll try to blend the two. The easiest way is tell us, do you want us to tell you that Oscar Mercado has a 188 on base percentage? Or do you want us to tell you that Oscar Mercado is on pace to set the franchise single season home run record with 54? Both of those things can be true. Look out, Albert Bell. Jim Tomey. Well, I was just thinking about for 50 home run guys. But yes, Jim Tomey. 52? Mm-hmm. 2002. Uh, right? Uh, His last year here. Yeah, Until think... that little weird reunion. Mm. Should have been the end of his career. Was not. We've already covered that. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I we, we could do that. We could say, is Owen Miller a super a superstar player based on what we've seen so far this year? Well, based on what we've seen so far this year, hells yeah, he is. What is he most realistically? He's probably a guy that you're happy to have. Chris Taylor, we know, we get Thank it. You. Thank God. You. Somebody is finally starting to listen. I mean, I just keep throwing out all these, these player comps and they just keep coming up roses. So eventually <laughs> you'd think you'd listen to me. But you know what I'm saying? Like, are we saying Owen Miller's the greatest ever? No, nobody is saying that. But do I think they... You're getting more evidence that this is a guy that you're happy to have on your team? Yes. Do I think he's a building block for you for the future? I do. And I feel like I can say that just based on a little bit of a, a sample size that we've seen here. Because it's not so much about results, it's about process and confidence and seeing how guys approach their at-bats and just kind of passing the eye test, too, that they look like they belong. There's a lot there that goes into it. Do you want to... 
You want to do a little throwback segment here? I would love to. You want to do a random Cleveland baseball player <laughs> yeah. of the day? It'd be our first one since the, the start of the season. I mean, I can say random Indian because I'll give you the clue. They didn't play for the Naps or the Blues or the Broncos or the Guardians. Any guesses? Jason Hackamy. No. They uh, pitched for Cleveland for two years. I'm actually, so I didn't know that. 2008, 2009. 14 starts. 433 ERA. And his middle name is Loza, L-O-Z-A. What? <laughs> Loza? There's no way Pretty you're unique. pronouncing that you should correctly. get this. <laughs> um, 2008 and 2009. 14 starts between the two seasons. I got nothing. Pitched for one other team in the majors. Pitch for that team from 05 to 08. Came over during the 08 season in a trade. Hmm. For Luis Perdomo. Luis Perdomo. Man, I was mentally not prepared for this. And in 08, after the trade, six starts, a 183 ERA. So the team was thinking, oh, man. I know we had a down year, but we pair this guy with Cliff Lee. Jake Westbrook. Mm. Tomo Oka. I don't know. Who else was in that, that 09 <laughs> team? I don't know. Oh, boy. But then he came back and he made eight starts and he had an ERA of six and a half. Mm. So he was a young guy when he pitched with Cleveland m- middle of his career, like what you would term age to be 26 Hmm. or yeah. 26, 27. I don't know, man. I think it's a, it's a pretty good prospect. Came up with St. Louis. St. Louis. The only one I can think of that was a good pitching prospect that came from St. Louis was Anthony Reyes. Uh, I don't know. Is that is that your final answer? I, I guess, because that's the only pitching prospect from St. Louis I can think of. Hit that round of applause standing ovation sound effect. <laughs> Thank you. I knew it all along. I knew it. I knew it was. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, everybody. Yeah, he was a rookie in 06. That's the year the Cardinals went, they, they won the World Series. And he was 24 starting. He made a start in the World Series, went eight innings, two runs on four hits against the Tigers. Uh, it didn't work out too well in Cleveland. I, I, I He popped into my mind because former longtime beat writer Sheldon Ocker 
he used to, when he was, when Reyes was hurt, and it must have been 09, Sheldon would always ask for an update on Reyes. And like, I think he had maybe that shoulder, that thoracic shoulder surgery or something. Like he had, he had a pretty significant injury. And I think it derailed, I mean, it derailed his career because he didn't pitch again in the majors. But Sheldon would ask for an update, injury update on this guy like every day. Bart Swain always, <laughs> always joke about it. Um, if we're talking about, you know, maybe what questions we need answered in the near future, just injury updates we're seeking or something. And he'll say, you know, what about Reyes? Um, because that guy was out forever and it seemed like no one ever had any answers. <laughs> the only thing I could remember about Reyes outside of like, there was initially maybe some, some optimism that maybe this guy, they could get something out of him was his hat was straight across the brim. Do you recall that? No, did this he is the wear stupid crap that I remember? Didn't he wear stirrups? He may. I was looking, trying to find a picture, but I can't find any with his socks. Oh wait, maybe that's that's him. No, he's just wearing normal socks in this picture. Mm. But the hat straight across. No, no bend in it whatsoever at the time. And now I'm finding articles from December of 2017 that say he is a former Cardinals pitcher, Anthony Reyes, on California wildfires front lines as firefighter. Huh. Those from SI.com. I don't know. I just randomly found that. Well, on a less serious note, what I'm thinking of is his socks with the Cardinals had some stripes on them. They look kind of cool. They look kind of cool. That's that's there okay. You go. Thanks, Anthony Reyes. Thanks for that. Great to bring that segment back. Yeah, it felt good. Was wondering when it was going to reappear. Surprised he hasn't been a random Cleveland baseball player of the day at one point. Just rolls off the tongue. <laughs> yeah, that's all I can find is that he became a firefighter with the Los Angeles Los Angeles County Fire Department. Okay, there you go. Somebody tell Sheldon. Well, <laughs> there's your Anthony Reyes update. <laughs> For Zach Meisel, I'm TJ Zuppi. We'll be back in the middle of the week. Patreon. Did we mention that we're doing that this year? Holy hell. Patreon.com slash Sylvia's Godcast. Laters. <laughs>